this morning is our first part of that. Very, very basic, very foundational, and yet very, very important. You know, Sunday after Sunday, we stand up together and make a declaration, and we say, this is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. And we kind of conclude by saying, I receive his word. I believe his word. I live by his word. There's a reason why we've put so much emphasis on the word of God in our declaration. Because it's very, very important and very foundational, very fundamental for our walk with God. God's word. Amen. So this morning, I just want to bring a very simple exhortation calling us all back to the Bible. Amen? So let's say this together. Let's get back to the Bible. And I'm just borrowing my sermon title from an old radio program we used to listen. I don't know if some of you are that old to remember, but <laughs> there used to be an old radio program. I don't know if it's still on or Vishwani or whatever. It used to be called Back to the Bible. We just borrowed the sermon title from it. But I think it's so important for us to understand the importance of the word, importance of the power of the word of God, and the place that the Bible, God's written word, has to have in our lives. And uh, in the busyness of being a child of God, of being a believer, of being a Christian, sometimes we just forget this very fundamental, very foundational truth that the place that God's word has to occupy in our lives. And so this morning is just an exhortation to call us back to the Bible. God works by his word. Amen? The very first chapter of the book of Genesis, when we see God, the creator, creating everything, he did it by his word. When God wanted to create this entire universe, the immense expanse of creation, what did he do? Call, you know, six million angels and say one star for each angel, go make it happen. He didn't do that. He spoke the word. Time and again, in the first chapter of Genesis, you find God says, God said, God said, God said. And that's why the Bible tells us in Psalm 33, verses 6 and 9, it says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth, and full of power. The word is alive. It's a living thing. It's active. It's full of energy. It's full of power. What power? God's own resident in his word. Do you believe that? Amen? Let me hear an amen. God's power is resident. You know, just because I preach very quietly doesn't mean you have to be quiet. I mean, this is just my style. But you can be as loud as you want. Amen? Yeah. Go shout, scream, anything. But I'll just be myself, all right? God's power is resident in his word. His word's alive and full of power. That's why God says, you know, in Isaiah 55, my word, when it goes forth out of my mouth, it will not return to me void. But it will accomplish what I please and it will prosper in the thing for which I sent it. It's full of power. It's full of potential. When it goes forth, it will accomplish what I please. So when God wants to accomplish something in you that he pleases, he does it by his word. His word is full of power. Now, God works in us by his word. The same word. Which Hebrews 11.3 says, you know, by faith we understand that the heavens were framed by the word of God. So this whole expanse, this whole universe was framed by that word. And today the whole universe is being upheld by that same word. How is this universe staying in place? Hebrews 1.3 says that he upholds all things by the power of his word. Everything is being held in place by the power of his word. Amen. 
It's being sustained. It's being regulated by the power of his word. When he spoke, that power went out. And today, the entire universe is being upheld by the power of his word. Now, it's that same word that God uses to work in you and me. Now, we all pray, say, God, please work in me. And we pray funny prayers. We pray, sometimes we pray, God, fill me. Other times we pray, God, empty me. Sometimes we pray, God, make me. Other times we pray, God, break me. And God, like, make up your minds. You know, what do you want? Now, we pray all kinds of prayers. But essentially, we are saying, God, I know I need help. I want you to do something in me to fix me, to make me whole, to help me. Whether it means to break me or make me or fill me or empty me. Whatever it is, God, just do it in me. So we pray, say, God, work in my life. And yet, after we pray those prayers, we don't give God's word the time, the place, and the space it's supposed to have in our lives. So we become an hindrance to the answers to our own prayers. Because when God works in our lives, he works primarily by his word. Now, he does work by his spirit. I'm not denying the work of his spirit. He does work through other people. I'm not denying that. He does get our attention through circumstances now and then. I do not deny that. But one of the primary ways that God is going to work in your life is by his word. The same word which he used to create this universe. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul's writing to the Thessalonians and he says, you know, when you receive the word that we brought to you, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually, powerfully works in those who believe. God's word works in the lives of those who believe. It fills you, it makes you, it breaks you, it burns you up, it burns, it does everything. Because God says, my word is like honey, it's like a hammer, it's like fire, it's like water. So it does all this, but he works by the agency of his word in your life, in my life. Amen. See, Jesus put it this way. He, when he's talking about the word of God, he, he said this parable, you know, in three gospels, Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He said, you know, a sow went out to sow some seed. When you look, take seed in your hand, maybe take a tamarind seed, we're all familiar with it. It's a small piece. It looks very lifeless. It can't move on its own. It can't do anything. It looks very lifeless. And yet that seed, when you put it in the ground, it has within it everything it needs to become a huge tamarind tree. And Jesus said in Luke 8, 11, the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. You have your Bible. You tend to read it. Sometimes you fall asleep on it. Accidentally, some of us sleep on it, on purpose, keeping it under our pillows, whatever. It seems lifeless, like that seed. It's just letters on a page. But yet within that word is the potential, is the power of God. It's the energy of God to release in your life that which he pleases. Amen. It's that seed. But it has to fall on good ground. It has to come on ground that will be receptive to it, that will welcome it, that will embrace it. And then it will bring forth fruit. Sometimes 30, sometimes 60, sometimes 100 fold. But God's word is that seed. Amen. So when God wants to work in us, he works through the power of his word. You know, healing comes from the word of God. Proverbs 4, verses 20 to 22, God says, My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health. To all their flesh, meaning their whole body. He says, my word is health to your whole body. Amen. 
You say, I want healing. It's the power to heal your body. Any sickness, any disease in that word. The same word which brought this universe into existence. Amen. Deliverance comes from the word of God. Psalm 107 verse 20, it says, you know, then they cried unto the Lord in their troubles and he heard them. He also sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Deliverance comes from the word of God. The power for you to triumph over your circumstance, to overcome is in the word. Many of us saying, God, you know, I want to live an overcoming life. I want to overcome all these habits. I want to overcome these addictions. I want to be victorious in my life. I want to live a clean life. I want to live a pure life. Where is the power to be that overcomer you want to be? It's in the word of God. Psalm 119, you and I are family with these scriptures. Verse 9, verse 11, it says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to your word. And then the psalmist says, your word I have hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. I put your word inside me because when that word gets inside me, it helps me be an overcomer. Amen. Psalm 17 verse 4, the psalmist said, you know, I have, by the word of your lips, I have kept myself from the paths of the destroyer. From the, by the word of your lips, I have kept myself from the paths of the destroyer. You can be an overcomer by his word. And John writes to the, the young man and he says, you know, 1 John 2, 14, he says, Young men, I have written to you because the word of God abides in you and you have overcome that wicked one. The word of God abides in you. 1 John 2, 14, the word of God abides in you and you have overcome that wicked one. Where's the power to be an overcomer? It's in the word of God. But you need to get that word inside you. Everyone's listening. Amen. That power to overcome is in the word. You need that word inside you. Answered prayer is birthed by his word. Jesus said in John 15, 7, he said, If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you want. I mean, wouldn't it be nice to have that kind of a prayer life where you can ask whatever you want. It'll be done for you, he said. But there's this one little clause. You remain in me and my words. And you ask whatever you want. It will be done for you. Success in our prayer lives is connected to the word abiding in us. So it's not just how many prayers you pray. It's how many prayers you get answered. And how many prayers you get answered depends on that word inside you. Are you listening? Amen. So we need to get back to the Bible. Get back to the word of God. God's word must become final authority in our lives. God's word must become final authority in our See, even God... The Bible tells us, has exalted his word above his name. Psalm 138 and verse 2. Now his name is holy. He said, don't take my name in vain. His name is very holy. But there is something higher than his own name. It's his word. Because his name will no longer be revered if his word is not good. Are you listening? So the psalmist said, you have magnified your word above. Your name. God holds his word more important than his own name. And so the Bible, you know, the psalmist praying in Psalm 119, 89, he says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It's permanent, unchangeable, irrevocable. It's settled in heaven. This is written, set in stone, cannot be changed. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled. Question, is his word settled in your life? 
forever. I mean, it's been set in stone, so to speak, in your life. Is it final authority in your life? So what do you mean final authority? It means this is one thing that you and I will submit to. We say submit to God. What does it mean to submit to God? It simply means you submit to His Word. Because His Word is, is an expression of Himself. And we submit to the Word of God. Amen? Is God's Word final authority in your life? The psalmist said in Psalm 119, he said, I esteem your word concerning all things to be right. I mean, what your word says about this situation is what I'm going to take. I esteem your word concerning all things to be right. Is God's word final authority? Or do we, unfortunately, are we led by our feelings? It's sad to say that many of us as believers, you know, we love God, and yet our feelings become our final authority in life. Now, feelings are important. I'm not downplaying them. You know, you feel hungry, you have to eat. You feel tired, you have to rest. So we make decisions based on feelings. It's okay. They have a room and a place in our life. But yet the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. Meaning, in as much as our senses are important, we live by a superior reality, a higher truth, which is our faith in what God has spoken. We do not deny our senses. They are real. You feel. They're real. We're not denying that reality. But there's a higher reality. There's a superior reality. And it's our faith that links us up to that, the eternal word of God. And we live by that, by faith in God. Faith is birthed by the word. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. So faith is based on the word. Faith is not cleverly thought out logic. Faith is not cleverly understood reasoning. In as much as logic is good and reasoning is good, faith is confidence in the word of God because there is a realm where logic cannot explain and you still believe. So faith is that confidence in a higher reality and higher truth. Unfortunately, many of us as believers are led by our feelings, not our faith. If I feel like it, I will do it. If I don't feel like it, sorry. But that's not the way you're called to walk. You're called to walk by faith and your feelings follow you. Amen. Meaning you first your dependence on the word, you begin to live by that. You say, because God's word says it, I'm going to do it. Once I start doing it, my feelings will follow me. So your feelings are submitted to the word of God. It's final authority. Are you listening this morning? We live by faith in the word. His word is final authority in our lives. And can you imagine Mary, when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to have a son by the power of the Holy Spirit. What was Mary's response? In Luke 1 and verse 38, her response was, Be it unto me according to your word. God, I can't figure this out. It doesn't fit my thinking. I, I can't reason. I can't explain it. But Lord, be it unto me according. And so what was the prophecy pronounced over her? Luke 1, 45, by the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth says, Blessed are you who believe. For there will be a performance of those things which are spoken to you by the Lord. You're blessed that you believed it. Why? Because what you believe now will be performed in your life. She believed and she couldn't understand. She believed when her logic and her reasoning could not get a grip of it. She said, be it unto me according to your word. I'm submitting myself to what the Lord God is saying. Amen. Is God's word final authority? Are you led by your faith, not your feelings? I also want to address, you know, kind of related to this, another important area of, that I'm very concerned about, which is we must live by the word 
instead of prophecy. Now, we are a prophetic church. We believe in the prophetic. We teach the prophetic. We practice the prophetic. And yet it, it does concern me when I see believers running from prophecy to prophecy. And ordering their whole lives by prophecies which somebody said something about. It's very dangerous. And it's not the way you're called to live your life. You and I must, you know, prophecy, I just like to say this, you know, it might be a little funny or crude, but prophecy is like ice cream. You can't live by ice cream, can you? You need the solid meat of the word of God. You have ice cream now and then when God gives you one, that's great. But you don't live on ice cream. Be malnourished. Unfortunately, many believers live on ice cream, going from prophecy to prophecy to prophecy. Now listen to what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. Peter is writing here in 2 Peter 1, 16 to 20. He says, you know, we have not presented to you cunningly devised fables, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty because we were with him. Now I'm paraphrasing it. We were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration when we heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We were eyewitnesses to this when we were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. And we are telling you about all these things. But yet he says in verse 20, he says, but... We have a more sure word. Meaning, we've got something better than the supernatural experience. What is it? Knowing this, that all prophecy of Scripture. He's telling you and me, look, I've got something that's much more real. Something more dependable than the supernatural encounter we had on the Mount of Transfiguration. When we saw Jesus glorified and we saw, you know... This whole experience, we heard the voice from heaven. There is something more certain, something more dependable than that experience. What is it? It is the prophecy of the written scriptures. Because he says, for we know that no prophecy came from, old men, from men by their own utterance. But they were moved, they spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The prophecy of scripture supersedes every prophecy that is spoken over your life. Every prophecy, every personal prophecy must be tested. The question is, how can believers test personal prophecy when they don't know the scriptures to test it with? Are you listening? So you need to really be grounded in the word of God before you can test and evaluate the prophecy and to know whether you're supposed to receive it or reject it. There is something more fundamental. There's something more powerful than personal prophecy. It's the prophecy of the written scriptures. Peter said that's more absolute, more certain than the experience we had on the Mount of Transfiguration. I'm not done playing prophecy. I'm not done playing the prophetic. We are a prophetic church. We encourage it. We teach it. We practice it. But I want us to know we are founded on the word of God, not on prophecy. We live by the written word of God, not by personal prophecy. And I, call, I want to teach one of us back to the Bible. Live by the Bible. Because when there are prophecies, Paul writes, he says, prophecies can fail. But the word of God will not fail. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not expire. Amen. So while we encourage the prophetic, we must understand the higher place that God's written word has to have in our lives over the prophetic. And connected to this is believers evaluating teaching they receive. You know, we today living in an information age where knowledge and information is so readily available on television, on books, tapes, CDs, everything. So as believers, we are, we have easy access through the internet and all other means to teaching of the Word of God, which is good if you know how to discern what you must receive and what you need to reject. 
the thing that concerns me is that as believers, many times we just swallow the whole thing, everything that comes out through a man or a ministry without evaluating it simply because of the anointing that is evident or because of the gifts that do manifest. What I want us to understand is the anointing present on individuals or ministry and the manifestation of the gifts does not give credence to the teaching. Because somebody could have a powerful anointing, manifest wonderful miracles, but be wrong in what they teach. As history is full of those examples. So teaching must be evaluated based on its own merits by the word of God. Not because miracles manifest or signs take place. Now we believe in signs, wonders, and miracles. We encourage it. We, we know God's at work. We believe in the anointing and the work of the Holy Spirit. But you need to evaluate everything that's preached from this pulpit just as much as you evaluate anything else preached from any other pulpit or any other media. I want to encourage all of us as believers to be like the Bereans. Paul, the great apostle, anointed of God, mighty miracles, signs, wonders, comes to Berea in Acts the 17th chapter, verse 7 to 11. It tells us when the Bereans heard Paul, they didn't just receive everything he said because he was an apostle. But it tells us that they went and they checked, examined the scriptures to see whether what Paul was saying was right or not. Amen. We need to be like that. Even what I preach and teach, you must evaluate. You must go and check it out. And the word of God, is this right? Is it right? Or should I not accept it? Amen. As believers, that responsibility is on you to evaluate what teaching you hear through whatever media, whatever platform comes to you. And not to simply accept whatever is spoken without evaluating the word of God, what is being taught. So my exhortation to all of us this morning, simply this. Develop a discipline of being in the Word of God. Amen. I'm not saying that, you know, you thou shalt read the Bible every day. Because I know that practically there are some days we all don't read the Bible. You just be honest. You say, Pastor, you don't mean you don't read the Bible every day? Yeah, I don't read the Bible every day. Because there are some days I don't read the Bible. Doesn't mean I've backslidden, gone to hell, lost my salvation. It just means that that day... I was traveling, I was whatever, something was happening, that I didn't read the Bible that day. But there is a consistent life of being in the Word. Amen. And there is enough Word in me that although I may not open the Word, I can be meditating in the Word. Like the cow that chews on the cud. So while I may not physically have the opportunity to open up the Bible on a certain day because of whatever thing, I still have the ability to meditate in the Word. So here's what I want to call us to. Develop a discipline of being in the Word consistently. Consistently being in the Word. Now, if you can do it every day, thumbs up to you. Good job. But five days a week should be good. You can do it. We have that develop that discipline of being in the Word consistently. And don't just read the Bible, but meditate in the Bible. Now, reading the Bible is good. You read it. You get an understanding of it. get a gist of what is there. Uh, that's good. But I want to encourage us to go beyond just reading the Bible, meditate in the Word. Because throughout the Bible, God calls us people, He says, meditate in my Word. Meditate is a word. Meditate in my Word. Now, what does it mean to meditate in the Word? I like to break it up in three words that help us understand what meditation is. Meditation, first of all, involves contemplation. It means you're giving focused thought Focus attention to the Word of God. 
So while you have your Bible in front of you, you're not going to think, you know, who won the match today? Why didn't he score more runs? I mean, that's not meditation. So meditation is focus, it's contemplation, it's focused thought on what you're reading. So you read a passage and you're meditating on it. Contemplation. You might meditate for five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, half an hour. And I can tell you just from my own experience, those moments of meditation, the presence of God. I can hardly tell you a number of times when I'm just meditating, my eyes are filled with tears because I feel tangible presence of just open the Bible, just meditating in it. I'm not even praying. We'll talk about prayer next Sunday. I'm not even praying. Just, just have the Bible here. I'm meditating in the presence of God just all over. I can feel it. It leads me to tears. Meditate. Begins with contemplation. You're thinking about it. The second part of meditation is visualization. That means you engage your imagination and see yourself being, doing, becoming, and behaving everything you're reading. You're seeing the word becoming flesh in your life. How? In your imagination. Now you say, no, but how can you use your imagination? You know, that's part of uh, some sort of an Eastern thing you're teaching us. Let me ask you a very simple question. Who gave you your imagination? You're not sure, just ask your neighbor. Who gave us our imagination? Let's try again. Who gave us our imagination? God. God designed this faculty, this ability to visualize, to be in a future even before you get there. So use it. Just sanctify it and use it. So on the canvas of your imagination, you paint, your, paint pictures of yourself being, doing, behaving, becoming everything God has promised in his word. See it happen in your mind's eye. You say, you know, but aren't you, you know, trying to do mind over matter? Well, listen, what did God say in his word in Proverbs 4.20? He said, my son, attend to my words. Let them not depart from your eyes. What did he mean when he said, don't let it go from your eyes? Did he mean that, you know, we walk around with, said, don't let it depart from your eyes? Or did he say, you know, we have to invent a new kind of goggles that has scriptures going over it all the time? Now, we can do that if you want. Scripture's playing through all the time. So you see everybody through scripture. You know. Now, that's not what God meant when he said, don't let it depart from before your eyes. You've got the eyes of your imagination. You've got the eyes that you can see inside you, your inner eye. And on the canvas of your imagination, you need to have the word of God firmly imprinted there. So regardless of where you go, you have an inner image of yourself behaving, living, doing according to the word. Amen. It never depart from your eye. You've got the word of God before. Paint pictures of yourself being what the Bible says you can be. Dream. God gave it to you. God gave you that imagination. Use it for his glory. Fill your imagination with positive thoughts of what the word says. Positive pictures of you becoming what God's word says you can become. For example, right now in your present situation, you may be a failure. Everything in your life may be in a total mess. But his word says you will be like a tree. Planted by rivers of water. You will bring forth your fruit in its season. Your leaf will not wither. Whatever you do will prosper. So what you can do is this. You can read that word. You contemplate on it. You say, God, your word is truth. 
Your word is higher truth. It's superior reality. My present reality tells me I'm a failure. I'm a total mess. I will never amount to anything. I can never be a success. But here, there is higher reality which says that I will be fruitful all the time. I will always be flourishing. This is what God, you have spoken. Now, I'm going to paint a picture according to that word. And in your mind, you see yourself a success. You see yourself being that person who's always fruitful. Amen. You can allow your circumstance to paint that picture of failure and defeat. Or you can allow the word of God, which is eternal truth and higher truth, to paint a picture of you becoming what God said you'll become. So you see yourself according to the word of God. His word says, I know the plans I have for you, plans of prosperity and not disaster to give you hope in the future. So you think of, your, uh, think of your future as one that's filled with hope. You're becoming and doing everything God said you'll become. That whatever you do will prosper. So you see yourself prospering. God said that wealth and riches will be in your home. So you look at your home, you see, you know, it doesn't seem like it right now. But that's okay. I will not allow my present circumstance, which is a reality, to paint that picture in my mind. But allow the word of God, which is higher reality, to paint a picture of prosperity in my mind. Because his word says, wealth and riches will be in your house. His word says, if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. His word says, the meek will inherit the earth. Paint those pictures in your mind. That's visualization. It's part of meditation. And the third aspect of meditation is confession. You saying with your mouth what God says. Now traditionally, as I understand it, I've not been in Hebrew, but traditionally they would say, um, Hebrew people would sit down in a corner with a shawl over their head, and they would rock back and forth over and over again the scriptures, saying muttering. That's a literal word, the meaning of the word meditate in Hebrew, to mutter. So that's why when you see nowadays some people praying, they go like this. You know, they've got Hebrew roots. The seed of Abraham. What are they doing? They're just doing what their ancestors taught them to do, you know. Oh, that's a joke. Okay. But the point is this. Part of meditation is confession. You muttering, you saying with your mouth what God has said. It is so important. You begin to say it with your mouth. You use it in prayer to God. God, I thank you. I will be like this tree planted by rivers of water. I speak over my life. I speak over my future. And I say that I will be like a tree planted by rivers of water. I will bring forth my fruit in its season. My leaf will not wither. Whatever I do will prosper. Now, it doesn't matter what decibel you're at. Just make sure you don't disturb your neighbors. The power is not in the decibels. The power is in the word. So you might just whisper the word and say, I will be like this tree. But your faith is unlocking the red power resident in that word. And it's releasing it into your world, into your life. Amen. So I want to invite all of us. Come back to the Bible. Meditate in the word. Contemplate. Visualize and confess the word. Amen. Jesus said this. He said, you know, the wise man heard the word and he did it. And he built his house on solid rock. So when the storms came, the winds blew, the rains descended, the floods lifted, his house stood firm. Why? Because he was a man who heard the word and did it. He built his life on the word of God. Question, what are you building your life on? God's word or is it built on your feelings feelings are like the weather they change you feel good you don't feel good they're shifting sand they're not stable but if you're building your life on the word of god you say i'm gonna do it because god's word says it i'm submitting myself to the authority of the word of god i'm following his word 
I'm giving his word time, space in my life. You'll be somebody who's building your life on, the wo- on solid rock. Storms come, winds blow, floods rise. Amen.